right. Well, I do just, really the whole sermon, the rest of the service is going to be about our home groups. And before I dive in, I just want to draw your attention to the announcement or the bulletin, the sheet that you got there in your bulletin. Um, This is just really helpful in the beginning. It gives a brief summary just about kind of what we envision happening in our home groups, why we have these. I'm going to spend uh, the rest of the time this morning talking about that. Um, But this is really just to help you, let you know about our home groups. Uh, As we mentioned last week, for those of you who, as you just consider, as you pray about what home group might serve you best to join, um, you can go ahead and sign up for that, uh, write the, your name, write which home group you're interested in, and we will return to these later. But just know that you have these. If you usually leave your bulletin or throw it away, take it out, slip it in your purse, slip it uh, in your Bible, and we will come back to that. Well, as I mentioned, each, uh, each year as we approach this, we can start recording now too. But each year as we, as we approach the start of our home groups, we like to, to take a Sunday to highlight and to, to cast our vision for why we think that these are, are so important for, for all of us, why we think that these home groups are such important contexts in each, every, each and every one of our lives. And we want to be a church that makes and grows disciples of Jesus Christ. And in addition to this context right here, these Sunday services, we really do believe as elders that our home groups are the next best context for that to happen. As we seek to to make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ, apart from this Sunday meeting, the home groups are the most important thing that you can do for your spiritual life. That home groups are, are vital means that God wants to use in our lives as we desire to become more like him together. And this morning, before we dive into our passage, before we look at 1 Peter 2, uh, the elders and I have asked uh, Tiffany Arthur to come up, um, who, by the way, is our new admin assistant. We can clap for her there. But we have asked her to come up and just to to share about the important role that home groups have played in her life. So Tiff, Tiff, if you would like to come on up, we can welcome her as she comes. You need this? Okay. Hi. (laughs) Sorry. I'm terrified of microphone. And that's why. Okay. Can you, can, uh, this, 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 this. Oh. Okay, Um, so I'm going to share a little bit just about um, home groups in my own life and Dorian's life also. I have a daughter who's 12, Um, but I'm going to read a little passage. Um, First and foremost, I'm just going to pray because I'm super nervous and I want the Holy Spirit to speak and minister to our hearts. So I'm going to give him a prayer real quick. All right. Dear Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus and precious Holy Spirit, your glory be had this morning. Father God, I just come as a vessel willing to let your words and your truths be expressed through my mouth. So Father God, restrain me in the ways that you see pride or you see um, my own advancement for my opinions and that you just be bold, be bold and come and minister to the hearts of these people, your people whom you love. And I just pray that you're encouraged and spurred on to see your heart as a father to gather your people together so that you may be known much richer and deeper than it is in your son's holy and precious name, I pray. Amen. Um, so I don't know how many of you have seen this little book, Jesus Storybook Bible. It's awesome if you don't have it for your kids. And I'm an adult and I love it. Um, but I'm just going to read a passage. And um, we've been going through Genesis. And I just kind of thought as I was walking through like what I wanted to share um, that, you know, we we just kind of, we, we got to the point of, of 
home groups and gathering together can become a burden in our busy lives. And so in our busyness and when we're tired, um, it's not seen as much as a blessing and as a source of encouragement and meeting God in those times. And so I just thought this was really neat. Um, so I'm just going to start here. Usually Adam and Eve loved to hear God's voice and would run to him. But this time they ran away from him and hid in the shadows. Where are you, God called. Hiding, Adam said. We're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? God asked them. Adam said, Eve made me do it. What have you done? God asked. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken the one rule. They had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him. And now he knew everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was all supposed to last forever. So God fellowshiped with Adam and Eve in the garden, and he loved being with them and gathering with them. That was his original intention. And so through sin, we are just we're broken people. And so even in my own experience, my tiredness, my um, busyness, I am just consistently battling against gathering together or going out and being with people because I really want to just sleep or I want to rest or I want to do that extra chore. I have just too much on my list. And I just, I know it so well. I, you know, God has allowed me to have a really busy life. And it's something he hasn't said, it's time for you to stop being that busy. And most days, you know, Dory and I are kind of looking at each other going, what just happened? And so, um, so, but through it, every time I'm faced with the option to go to home group or to, um, to stay home, it, and usually my, I'm tired or I'm too busy, it's so that I can finish, I can keep working at home, because I've got this list to do, and so, but I'm always convicted by the Holy Spirit of my intention. Where is my heart for the Lord in those moments to gather together with his people, where he says it's to be a source of encouragement, a source of building us up, a source to be able to help us move forward with the the next week, the next day, the next moment. And, and so he always challenges me to look at where my heart's condition is and to um, just really sit down and say, is it really better that I stay home? Is, it, is my little ounce of tired, because I probably don't even know tired compared to some of the world, and especially some of my brothers and sisters in other countries, I probably have no clue what tired means. Um, so he just always consistently comes and he challenges me to stop and think about what is really better for me. What does he say is better for me? Um, and he loves me, and so I have to really say, okay, do I trust that? Do I believe that he loves me? And so when I go to home group, I'm blessed. There's not, I can't count a time where I've been at home group around God's people, and mind you, being fed, because <laughs> That's one meal that I don't have to cook out of the week, which blesses me. It blesses my daughter, too. And she's usually going, Mom, we have to go. What are you talking about staying home? And she can, he, the Spirit uses her to convict me and remind me that gathering together is always meant as an opportunity to be built up and encouraged, to spur one another on, to let the Holy Spirit meet us where we're at, and to use our giftings to encourage somebody. And so I just continue to feel that Every time I say no, I'm shutting off opportunities to let God do what I need the most, which is to be revived and rejuvenated. And he does that through his people, which is so awesome. And so it's never done anything but encourage my heart to go and be there. And, and don't get me wrong, 
I know everybody has a different life. Everybody has a different story. Everybody has different circumstances. And so it's definitely not a claim that there isn't an appropriate time to not gather together, to make those choices and to pray as a family, to, to avoid those things. But um, the scripture that always comes to mind is Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, which says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so I just love it. He says, we gather together to encourage one another. And so I just hope you guys are encouraged that as you select home groups and you think through home groups, that you remember that it's never meant to be a source of burden. It's meant to be a source of, of refreshment. You hear those uh, stats about you know public speaking being more being more of a bigger fear than death, and I think that Tiff would say that. So I was so grateful that she agreed to let the Spirit use her this morning to encourage all of our hearts to have this biblical vision of how God wants to use each of us in each other's life. I, I hope that's what you took away from that. Is is in the midst of all the other options, the other things we we could be doing. When, when we look at home groups and they're one means of doing that, it's just it's a way that we can just acknowledge that we need each other and God wants to use us in each other's lives. So thank you, Tiff. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, if you have your phone with you, if you have your scrolls with you, open up to 1 Peter 2. If you don't have any of those, you left your scrolls at home, we are going to have the verses here on the screen. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Why don't you follow along as I read. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us on our own, Lord, but you've given us your word, and you desire to speak to us through your spirit. And so we pray, we pray for, for ears to hear, we pray for eyes to see. Father, help us to see who we are and what type of community you're calling us to be together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier this morning, we, we really want to use this Sunday to, to really kick off our home groups as we consider the, the vital ministry that they are in our church. Uh, we as an eldership, as we, we think about our home group ministry, we really see it as flowing from the Bible's teaching on who we are and what type of people we're called to be together. So as we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see what God has to say about those two things, about who we are 
in what he's calling us to be together. So as, as we think about the outline for this sermon, we really think about it in terms of, of the who and the what. Who we are as a community and what he's calling us to be. So first we want to see who we are as a community. In verses 9 and 10, we see that Peter is calling us, he's telling us that we are the people of God transformed by the gospel. The first thing that we see here in this passage is that we are the people of God transformed by the gospel. Just just hear again how Peter describes his readers. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Verse 10, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, I know it can can be easy for you to to hear these phrases, to read these phrases, and just just pass right over them. I mean, what is a royal priesthood, and what does that have to do with my life? But but if we do that, that would be be a big mistake. Because in using these, these loaded phrases, Peter's doing something very important for his readers. He's connecting his readers. These are are Gentile. These are non-Jewish Christians. He's connecting them to the nation of Israel. He's helping them to see that they are the same people of God as Israel was in the Old Testament. He's wanting them to see that they are a continuation of this people of God that he has been building since the gardens. We're going to see when we return to Genesis in the fall with Abraham, God is building a people, and they are part of it. And and he does this as he uses these phrases, these phrases, holy nation, chosen race, royal priesthood, these these phrases that have only been applied to the nation of Israel. All three of these, when we think about the term royal priesthood, holy nation, a, a people for God's own possession, they come straight, straight out of Exodus 19, one of the most important passages in all of the Old Testament is, as this is God speaking to his people right before he gives them the Ten Commandments. Just, just hear, see what God says to the nation of Israel in Exodus 19. There's people who've, who've gone through the Exodus, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've gathered around the mountain, and here God speaks to them, and he says, Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. You hear that? People for my own possession. He says, for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, to royal priesthood, and a holy nation. As the people have come out of the land, as they are forming their identity, who are they going to be as the people of God? God speaks to them in his grace. He gives them these promises. He says, I'm going to make you a holy nation. I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. You will be a royal priesthood. And as we turn to 1 Peter, we see that Peter is using these same phrases, these important phrases to the people of Israel when he speaks to the church. And he does this not because he went rogue. 
He's not misapplying the Old Testament. He's saying, oh, I know that was for Israel, but now I'm, I'm going to take it, I'm going to rip it off, and I'm going to say that this is true about you. But he's intentionally using this phrase, intentionally using these phrases to show his readers that God has only one chosen people and that they're part of it. They're part of this same royal priesthood. They are part of this same holy nation. And the amazing thing is, is if you are here this morning, if you have trusted in Christ, that this is true of you as well. You have been made a part of the people of God. You are God's treasured possession. God has made us into his people. One thing to notice about these two passages is how in Exodus 19, when God was speaking to the nation, he told them that he, he would do these things. They would be this holy nation if only they obey his voice. If only they keep his covenant. But in our passage, as we look to, to, he, to 1 Peter 2, what does Peter say? He doesn't say, if you do these things. He says, you are. We don't want to miss this, because that difference right there is the gospel. The difference right there between if you will indeed obey and you are is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been made into this people because we are a people who have been transformed by the gospel. Our identity as God's people is not based on whether we obey. It's not based on our ability to measure up to perfectly obey God's word. You see, the gospel, it's the good news that Christ has completely obeyed. He's perfectly kept God's covenant. He's perfectly heard and kept God's voice. He's done what the people of Israel, as we see time and time again in the Old Testament, what they could not do, what they would not do, he did. And for you and me, friends, this morning, Christ did for you and me what we could not do ourselves. So that by trusting in the, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are given this new identity. We are God's chosen people, his chosen race. If you're here this morning and you've, you've yet to trust in Christ, if you're here this morning and still questioning, what is this Christianity thing? Maybe my friends told me I need to come here. You got dragged along this morning. If you're here and you've, you've yet to trust in Christ this morning, I just want to, to issue just a call to you to, to believe this gospel. Because there's no amount of good works that you can do. There, there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to make you a part of God's people. As we see here, it is, it is all of grace. Apart from Christ, we are in darkness. But thank God that in his love, in his grace, for you and for me, he came down to earth in the form of a baby, Jesus. He lived the perfect life that you and I are called to live, and yet we fail. He trusted Christ. He died on the cross, bearing the wrath that you and I deserved. And because of that, through trusting in that, we can become a part of his people. See and hear God's grace to you. And if you're here and you've trusted in Christ, just really just marvel at what God has made you through Christ. If you're here this morning, if you trusted in Christ, you are God's people transformed by the gospel. 
And as we're going to see, it's important that we see who we are as the people of God transformed by the gospel. Because who we are shapes what we do. So we see who we are. We're the people of God. And now we want to see the what. In light of who we are, in light of who God has made us to be, how does that shape what type of community we're supposed to be? So let's see how, how he makes this connection to the type of community we're supposed to be. Is first in verse 9, he calls us to be an upward community. Our identity is the, the people of God transformed by the gospel is meant to direct us primarily, first and foremost, up in worship. We see this in verse 9 in a part that I skipped over earlier. Look at, it, look, with, look at it again with me. Peter writes, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that we may proclaim the excellencies, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We have been made into this royal priesthood. We have been made God's treasured possession so that we may proclaim his excellencies. More than any other reason, God has transformed us into a people for himself so that we might be moved upwards in worship as we proclaim his excellencies together, as we thank God for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. For having mercy on us. In verse 10 he says, You once had not received mercy, but now because of Christ you have received mercy. God has shown compassion on us. Even as I was reminded of this morning, when we were his enemies, God demonstrated his love for us in Christ. God has opened our eyes that have been blinded by Satan. He has showed us the marvelous light of the glory of of his glory in the face of Christ. And so being reminded of all that God has done for us, we want to respond in worship. Because our salvation, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about his name. It's about his praise. It's about his glory. God has made us an upward community, and that shapes how we view our home groups. You see, our, our home groups are upward-facing communities where we gather together each week to place ourselves in a position where we can be reminded of this wonderful truth, where we can be reminded week after week after week of who God is, of what he's done for us in Christ. Our home groups, they have like a central place in our fellowship together because it's in our home groups where we open God's word that we're reminded of who we are and what he's done for us. I like to think of it as, as signposts. They're just consistent mile markers for us, reminding us of where we are, reminding us of what God has done for us. And I just find this to be so helpful because if you're anything like me, by the time you walk out those back doors on a Sunday morning, you've already forgotten. Or at least I know that that's true in my life. In fact, that's why I'm grateful that my home group meets on Sunday nights because by Sunday at 1 o'clock, I've already forgotten and I need to be reminded at 5.30. <laughs> you, you might not be able to relate with that, but I thank God that as, as I show up to the Arthur house on Sunday nights, I know, I know that I'm going to be reminded in God's word. I know I'm going to be reminded in our conversations together about what God has done for us. I know that as I'm with God's people, 
these people who've been bought with a price like I have, as I see the gospel at work in our lives, I'm going to be moved upwards as we seek to, to proclaim the excellencies of God. In our home group, I know all home groups don't get to do this, but we, we sing a song together. It's wonderful. And then we just open up our groups as we, as we open up our lives to each other, as we reflect on what we've heard in God's word. And we are just reminded time and time again of who God is. That's how our home groups fulfill this upward purpose. Our, our home groups, as you think about why should I join a home group? What, what benefit is there going to be to me in that? Well, first, as we see as Peter calls us to be an upward people, our home groups are just consistent reminders to us. They're opportunities for us to place ourselves in a position where we're going to be reminded of what God has done, where we're going to be moved upwards in worship. That, that's why we have home groups. So first we see that, that being the people of God transformed by the gospel makes us into an upward community. And next we see that it makes us into an inward community. I just thank God that, that he has not called us out of darkness and then left us on our own. But God has called us out, out of darkness and he's made us part of a people. And we're members of this community called the church. It's true that, our, that we're brought into this relationship with God individually. We all have, have a choice. We're all called. God calls everyone everywhere to repent and to turn to Christ. But when we do that, we're not just left individuals. But in that very process, God is forming us into his people. And as Peter continues, he shows us why God has made us into this inward community. Look with me at, at verse 11. In verse 11 Peter writes, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. The reason we are, we're an inward community is because we need each other in our sanctification. As we seek to become more like Christ, we need to see that we can only become more like Christ when we are with other people. God is making and growing disciples by his spirit, through his word, and through his people, through you and I. Peter, Peter was well aware of the temptations to sin. He was well aware of those temptations in his own life. He knew the passions of the flesh that he was daily reminded of, those desires to sin. And because of this, he calls the whole community to fight together. I mean, just notice how he illustrates the point. He says that, that these passions of the flesh, they wage war against our souls. This isn't a boxing match. It's not, not a one-on-one -on -one combat. This is war, and we fight war together. We go into the boxing ring alone. We fight, we wage war together. To be, to be an inward-focused community, we need to be people who genuinely want to know others, to be known by them, because it's a war, and we can't do it on our own. And is this hard? Absolutely, it's hard. There's no denying that this is hard to be open and honest about the passions of the flesh that we're struggling with. But by God's grace, we know that it's true of every single one of us in here. We're in this together, and thankfully, God has given us this community. It's not easy. It's war. 
impertinent to, to our purpose this morning as we think about our purposes of home group. We just need to see that we need to do this together. We're just, just so grateful for this vision that God has for us is that we would be a corporate people, that we would be a people that is gathering with other people, that we would become more like him. As you think about a particular sin that you struggle with, perhaps for you it's the sin of gossip, the sin of pride, worry, anxiety, anger, the list could go on. Maybe for you it's, it's a struggle with pornography. It could be a struggle of maintaining purity in a relationship. Whatever it is, I, I just, to comfort you this morning, it has never once crossed God's mind that you would fight that alone. I think that's important for you to hear. Whatever you are struggling with right now, the sin that you think only you struggle with, it has never once crossed God's mind that you do that alone. Maybe, maybe there are marriage difficulties this morning. Maybe you are here just under the weight of that. Even this morning, it was a reminder to you that things are not how they should be in this marriage. Things are, things are not right. Or maybe for you, it's your, your parenting relationship with your children. Maybe there is just conflict that has just been stemming over and over. It's just been, been building up. God does not want you to fight that alone. And God's calling you into this community we, we, we function, we purpose for this in our home groups. We structure for this in our home groups so we can be known by other people, where we can let other people know that. In fact, as you consider whatever that particular sin is that you might be struggling with, I just would wonder if you would consider if particularly that sin is such a struggle for you because you've never truly invited other people to fight with you. In her novel, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, J.K. Rowling tells, uh, tells really one of the most moving stories of what can happen when we invite other people into the dark areas of our lives. In, in, in book three, where we're introduced to, to Remus Lupin and his three great friends. After learning his secret, Lupin, as you might remember, is a werewolf. As a, as a child, he was, was bitten by a werewolf whom his dad had offended. And, and out of, uh, to get back at the dad, he bites Remus Lupin. And he's, he's turned into a werewolf. And as his three great friends learn his secret, his secret that he has tried to keep hidden from every, everyone else, afraid that they're going to reject him, afraid that they, that they will run away. No one will want to be around him if they knew who he truly was. They don't reject him. In fact, his three friends did. In fact, we, what we see with his three friends is that they, they do everything that they can to care for him. They spend three years coming up with a way where they can perform this complex magic, where they can transform themselves into other animals that won't be hurt by this werewolf when Raymond turns into that at the turning of the moon. They, they do everything they can to seek to care for him. They did that so that they could keep him company, so that they could protect him from himself, that they could help him, protect him from hurting other people. And they did it because they were his friends. Looking back at this experience when he was at Hogwarts with these three friends who went out of their way to love and care for him after they learned the truth about who he was, Lupin says this. He says, under their influence, 
I became less dangerous. He says, my body was still wolfish, but my mind seemed to become less so while I was with them. Isn't that that a picture of what we're to be as a community? We're still going to be wolfish. We're still going to have sin. We're still going to fight against sin. But we become less dangerous. And that vision right there is exactly what Peter has in mind as he's calling us to be an inward community. He's calling us to be a community, to be like Lupin's friends who will go to extraordinary lengths to care for one another. He's calling us to be friends who know the worst about each other and who will love us anyways. He is calling us to be people who will will think carefully and persistently about how we can help those in need, how we can help each other out, how we can help them fight against that struggle. That we all might become more like Christ together as we all fight the passions of the flesh together. And this is exactly why we need context like our home groups. Because the type of ministry that Peter has in mind, that typically isn't going to happen in this context. It's not typically going to happen here on a Sunday morning during our service or even in the time afterwards. This inward dimension requires time. It requires time sitting around dining room tables, time sitting around back patios as we build relationships with other people. It requires time around God's word, with God's word open and our lives open to each other. Because the truth is that we can all relate with Lupin. We all know there's a little werewolf in us. And every day we fight against that werewolf, that remaining sin, And to experience any success in this fight, we need other people. We need to let other people in. I mean, in this past year in our home group, we we had Tiff in our home group. She was part of this. Is we just had people, I mean, I had never been in a home group like this before, where people were just regularly sharing about the difficult things going on in their life. Week after week after week, we just saw the werewolves of lust, of self-sufficiency, of pride, of anger, of worry, of apathy, just brought out. And it wasn't just left there. No one left the home group. No one ran away, scared that something bad was going to happen to them. What we did is we cared for one another. We just spent time ministering the gospel to one another because that's what we need. And I saw and I just received care from my brothers and sisters who went to extraordinary lengths to help me become more like Christ. I even think back to when uh, we first came to Grace Church, and um, Donna and I were, um, well, not Donna and I, it was more me as I was just seeking to, to grow, to, to figure out what does it look like to be a godly father? What does it look like to be a godly husband? I didn't, didn't grow up with examples of examples that I wanted to emulate. I didn't know what that looked like. And it was week after week after week of being in the Farrington's home, of watching Steve and Sharon relate to each other, of watching all of these other couples relating to each other, that I was able to learn, oh, this, this is what it looks like to grow in this way. This is what it looks like to raise my kids, to love my wife. That that's why we have these contexts, because we need each other. We need to learn from one another. We, we, just, we want this inward element of our Christian life together to, to just move us to see, like, I can't live without that. I'm not saying home groups are the only way that you can get that. There are other contexts. But it's the way that we structure for it, because it's so important, because we need this. 
We need to let others into the dark places of our lives and receive their love in return. Perhaps for you, as you think about your times in home group, maybe you can be tempted to think, uh, man, those are just a waste, you know? I never really get anything out of them. Sometimes the conversation's exciting. Sometimes we're off track. Sometimes we're on track. I just, you know, you never really know what you're going to get. You know, I just would wonder if that, that's maybe the mindset that you might have as you think about home groups. Is it, is it really worth the time? I've never gotten anything out of it in the past. I would just lovingly ask you to consider if in years past, if you've just been open and honest with the things going on in your life. I realize that this can be hard and scary. I mean, often I know it's just Satan's attacks on us thinking that we're the only ones who struggle with these things. And so afraid of getting hurt, afraid of what other, might, other people might think of us, all we do is show up. But we never enter in. We never open up. I would just encourage you that if that's been your experience in the past, I would just lovingly encourage you to consider, have you been open and honest about the wolf inside of you, about what's going on? Not so that you can do that and that be the end of the story, but so that you can experience the joy of community, so you can experience the love and the grace and the hope that God wants to minister to you, that he wants to give to you as you walk that fight. So we see we're an upward community, we're an inward community. And lastly, as we turn to verse 12, we see that, we're, that our identity as the people of God is meant to, to make us an outward community. Because God's not calling us only to look upwards in worship, to look inwards for fellowship, but he's calling us to look outwards in mission as we seek to be used by God to make disciples. In this passage, Peter is, is primarily concerned to highlight the importance of our conduct, of our behavior, because of its importance in the missionary endeavor. Look with me in verse 12. Peter writes, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In calling his readers to live honorable lives, the idea is here that, that they will live lives that are attractive to non-Christians. This isn't a call to live by some strict code, to have some list of do's and don'ts at the ready. But he's calling them to live in a distinctively Christian way. A way that non-believers, those on the outside, those who are even hostile to you, will look at and find appealing. That they'll find attractive. He's calling us to a way of being in the world that's formed, and it, that's formed and informed by the gospel that has so transformed our entire lives. It's a call for all of us to live in such a way that those who don't know Christ, as I said, those who are hostile to Christianity and the gospel that we preach, that they will find our way of life appealing and attractive, that they're going to want to know what is different about you. I just, just wonder as you, you think about your life, as you think about maybe your, the way you talk about your spouse, whether it's at the gym, at work, the way you relate, you talk about your kids. Is, did non-believers look at that and find that attractive? Is that something that they're saying, I want that? What's different about you? Why, why do you relate like that? Why do you, why do you talk about your wife that way? Just, just wonder as, as you think about your life as, are, are, are non-believers looking at that and seeing that as something that's attractive?
something that's appealing. Because as he goes on to show, the ultimate goal of this isn't so that our, our neighbors, our coworkers, will think we're awesome people. But the ultimate goal is so that they'll worship God. And seeing our good deeds and seeing our love for one another and seeing the distinctively Christian way that we act, Peter writes that we do this so that they may see our good deeds and glorify God. This is the heart of it. This is the, the heart of everything that we do as a people is so that God will be glorified. It's so that people will proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This year, as we, as we think about our home groups, as we structure for our home groups, I, I think that we really want to grow in taking a step forward in our outward focus. We want these to be contexts for us where we can invite others into our life together, where non-Christians can see our love for one another because our evangelistic task is a corporate one. We see here that it takes a church. All too often in my own life, as I, I'm so tempted and I was just raised this way to see evangelism and, you know, in the church, that that's something that you do. It's an individual task. It's something that God has called you to do, and you're on your own to do it. As I think about that, I, I can just feel the weight on my shoulders getting heavier and heavier as it seems like it's just becoming a, an impossible task. But as I've been learning more recently, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he gave it to the church. He called the church corporately to make disciples of all the nations. We're called to do this together. This doesn't negate the importance of us making relationships with other people, of us building relationships with other, with other people. But I, think this, but I think if we see our outward task, if we see our task of making and growing disciples as a corporate one, and maybe if you're anything like me, then it just suddenly becomes easier. And I, and I wonder if it might even become more effective. This past week, I read this quote by Francis Schaeffer that I just, just found really helpful in what he had to say about our, our doing evangelism together and how the world sees that. Francis Schaeffer said, he said, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. This line has just stuck out to me. He says, Christian community is the ultimate apologetic. He says, Christian community is the ultimate apologetic. What he's saying here is that when the world outside, when the world looks at us and sees our relationships with each other, when it sees Christians caring for one another, when it sees Christians walking alongside one another, helping them fight sin together as we saw earlier, when it, sees the, when it sees Christians bringing each other meals, watching other people's children, running errands for other people, when it sees that, that's just a compelling vision of what God has called us to be. I mean, just think about how compelling it would be for that friend, for that neighbor, or even that coworker that you've been getting to know. If they were to, to, to walk into your home group, if they were, were to see how, you, how we are loving each other, just how compelling would that be to see people genuinely interested in each other, to see people who genuinely care about what's going on in our lives and ministering God's grace to one another? I'm telling you, for most people, this would be the most effective way that you could preach 
the gospel. Because in our society, people have no clue. People have no clue what it looks like to have tangible, embodied relationships with one another. And they desperately want it. And we want our home, great, home groups to be places where we can provide these contexts, these contexts where strangers can become friends, where friends can become part of the family of God. We want to live in such a way that those around us can see our corporate life together, the way that they can see us living our lives together, that they will glorify God. We are the people of God transformed by the gospel and we've been called to be an upward and inward and an outward community. That's the who and the what. And as you, as you think about living out these realities, I just, just wonder if this might be helpful for what way for you to think about it. As if, as if you can look at it almost like watching a ball game. Like just say that living out these upward, inward, and outward realities were like watching a ball game. A baseball game, because that's the best sport out there. Go Padres, right? <laughs> it's something you could do alone. It's something I like to do in the evenings as I'm bouncing Bradley down to sleep. Turn the ball game on, watch the ball game. Usually it's just me, maybe Adonis sitting down there. And I, I enjoy watching it. Usually the Padres are losing, but it's still an enjoyable time. And, and that's fine. That's one way I could do that. But there's a much more enjoyable way to watch a ball game, right? Actually going to Petco Park, driving down there, getting a hot dog getting a beverage of your choice, I'll leave that up to you, um, sitting down, surrounded by a group of people who are all wanting to do the same thing you are. They're all there for the same purpose. They're all there because they love baseball and they want the Padres to win. Well, actually, they want the other team to win, but, uh, <laughs> but they're all there for the same reason. They want their team to win. I mean, even just a couple, couple weeks ago, Dan and I got to go down to a ball game, and even though the Dodgers destroyed us, it was a wonderful, it just going to the ball game, being there with friends, being there with other people was a much more enjoyable experience than if I had been at home by myself. Now, am I still doing the same thing? I'm still watching the ball game, right? But one is way more enjoyable. One is really doing it the way it's meant to be. And as we think about living out these upward, these inward, these outward realities, we could do that on our own. We could worship God on our own. We can seek to fight sin on our own. We can be missionaries, be witnesses that God's called us to be on our own. You couldn't, just sitting at home watching a ball game. But how much of a greater vision is it to do together? Isn't it much more compelling to want to be with a group of believers week in and week out to live life together to fulfill these purposes? I'm telling you, they're not even the same thing. We want to go to the ballgame, right? We want to be surrounded by people who have the same purpose, the same intention as us. And that's why we think home groups are so important. It's not the only way to do it, but it is a great way to be with other people, to live out these realities of who we are. Remember, you are God's people. That's not going to change. It's what God has made us to be. But as we think about how we can live out these realities, how we can grow in our relationships with God, how we can grow in our relationships with others, how we can grow in our mission, we want to do that together. So as we close, I just want to ask you to consider just, just two questions to consider. First, I just want you to ask yourself, 
is your view of the Christian life as corporate as the Bible's view of the Christian life? Maybe this morning as you've been hearing about this corporate nature, the, the importance of others in our lives, you may be aware of some way that you need to, to adjust your view. In our Western society, individualism is the water that we swim in. And it is just so easy for that to creep into our Christian life. It's so easy for us to think this is something I got to do on my own. I do everything else on my own. Everything's about what I want to see on my phone, what Netflix I want to watch. It's all about about me. And we can just think that our Christian life is the same way. But as Peter shows us, the Christian life is inescapably corporate. It's inescapably communal. We need other people. So as, you can, so as you consider your view of the Christian life in, God, in light of God's desire for you, just ask the Holy Spirit to bring clarity about how your, your vision might be more in line with his. And secondly, just want to ask you to consider how are you going to live this out? How are you going to live out this communal calling? We need others, and the truth is this type of community just doesn't happen on its own. Or at least it's never happened in my life. I've never stumbled into this upward, inward, and outward realities of the Christian life. This is something that we need to prioritize. It's something that we need to get on our calendars early. and something that we need to structure everything else around. And that's just why we strongly encourage and recommend to every member, really to anyone who's here, to get plugged into a home group. We, we know that your lives are full just thinking of a line from Lord of the Rings where Bilbo just says that he feels like butter spread over too much toast. For many of you, that's just the story of your life. Your butter spread over too much toast. That is, that is true. But I hope maybe as you heard from Tiff earlier, as you're hearing now, that it is worth it to get this on the calendar. God wants to meet us as we structure and prioritize this. So I just ask you to consider how has God, what has God called you to be together and how are you going to do this? So we do, we, we encourage you to join a home group, to, to find a home group to join. As, as I highlighted earlier, you guys have a whole sheet of home groups that we have for you that you are welcome to go to any, every single one of these if you can do that or to anyone that you want. There's other, there are people who have gone to multiple home groups if that fits in your structure, but you are free to go to any one of these. Really take this, pray over how the Lord might use this time, might use these contexts to help you grow, to become more like Christ. And as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we think about who God has called us to be, we don't want to forget that it's the gospel that enables this. It's the good news of what God has done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that transforms our life, that makes us into this community. So as we close, we want to end by remembering and rejoicing in what our Savior has done, what he's accomplished, so we give thanks to him for calling us to be this type of community. I'm going to pray, and then the ushers can come.